Now, thoughts and ideas that are worked through really rigorously um, actually help us to discover stuff that we don't already know. So I see um, the huge advantage in rational thinking. Um, so I'm really keen to, I'm interested in that. And I'm really also um, surprised that many people would think that if you were a rational thinker, that somehow Christianity would be something you would have already discarded along the way. So that's certainly not the case for me. So the two things come together quite nicely in talking to you. All right, lovely. So with that, I'm going to give it away to Professor Harvey. Thanks very much. Well, I was really surprised when we were being told that um, society thinks that Christians are weird, because I have to tell you, society actually thinks scientists are weird as well. So that's maybe something that we have in common between science um, and Christianity, that society might think we're both weird. All right, I'll see if I can move this up a bit closer here. All right, so thinking about this, I was thinking about um, rationality and um, whether it was my motto, and I kind of concluded that, yeah, I guess I could say that rationality is really important to the way that I think about my life and what I do and how I think about particular topics. But I also, when I sat down and thought about it, realised actually it's not even just true for me, it's actually true for my family, right? So we're really sort of like a family of rational people, if you like. So I just want to explore that a little bit, just give you a bit of a history of me as well in the process and just um, introduce you to two people who are really important in my life, which is my grandfather and my father. And as you'll discover, we're actually three generations of scientists. So here's my grandfather. Um, he died a few years ago now. Um, he was an industrial chemist. And he actually worked for this company in the UK called C.C. Wakefield. You may never have heard of them, but after C.C. Wakefield did their work, they developed a company called Castrol. Right? And Castrol were basically known for a discovery that was made by the Wakefield company. And that was that if you take castor oil, vegetable fats from plants, and mix it with lubricants, you can make an oil which is basically liquid at room temperature, um, but it still works at high temperature. And this pretty much revolutionised modern engines. It was called castrol oil because it's castor oil, basically, added um, to petroleum products. Um, so he worked for a long time as an industrial chemist and retired um, from an oil refinery in, back in 1971. In many ways, he was a scientist of his time. He didn't have PhDs and university degrees, but he was a scientist. That's basically what he spent his time doing. My father, uh, Bruce Miller, uh, is a physicist and computer scientist. He's retired now. Uh, he co-invented the first speech processor for the bionic ear, which now became a cochlear company. Um, and uh, he worked on speech recognition software his whole career and retired from ANU in Canberra, which is where I went to university because that's where I grew up, um, in, in 2007. And he retired as the deputy director of NICTA, which is the Information Technology Centre, which has since spun out and is now Data61 in CSIRO, if you're aware of that. So he was an inventor and also a physicist and a computer scientist. So both these men not only taught me a lot about rationality and science, I sort of grew up, basically, around people who thought science was the greatest thing and the latest invention was the key to what we're going to do next, and it's what got them up in the morning. Um, I used to get up for breakfast as a kid, um, and uh, we'd had sort of like scientists from around the world all visiting, sort of staying in the back room, and they would have arrived late at night, so you kind of wake up 
and there's this new crazy person in the house um, <laughs> who's talking about something and your dad's really kind of into it and you're sort of tr struggling to figure out a few things over breakfast and then you go to school. So I'm a scientist as well, different kind of scientist, uh, a protein biochemist. Um, I'm a professor here in the School of Molecular Sciences at UWA and I direct a national research centre called Plant Energy Biology. So this is four universities all coming together, combining our efforts. We have about 180 people across those universities now, PhD students, postdocs, um, staff, all working together on this common topic. And what I work on in my own research is mitochondrial function in plants, understanding how mitochondria do respiration in plants, uh, technology related to protein synthesis and degradation in plant systems, and also trying to work out how you make plants more energy efficient by looking at something which is called post-translational regulation, which may mean nothing to you, but it's, believe me, it's really good and it'll help to make plants more energy efficient. So that's me, and that's two generations, and it got me thinking that really when you think about scientists, so many of us are sitting there doing our work, but we're sitting on the backdrop of all of this work that's gone before us. And indeed, I can certainly see that in my own life compared to what I've learnt from my father and my grandfather. Um, but you can also see it with like, really famous dudes like um, Isaac Newton. Yep. So here's a guy who pretty much single-handedly discovered mechanics, universal gravitation, calculus, laws of motion, and a whole bunch of things in optics. Right? He really stands out as somebody who contributed right across um, all of the sciences. He could have stood up and said, here I am, I'm awesome. And most people would have said, well, a bit arrogant, but yeah, you are pretty awesome. Right? <laughs> but instead, one of the most commonly quoted things from, from Isaac Newton was, if I've seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Right? And what he's acknowledging there is the fact that he doesn't know everything that he knows because he figured it out. He knows so much of what he knows because he learnt it from other people. So how do you actually know things? What's your perspective on how you know things? And I think most people, if they're um, in public at least, will be honest enough to say, well, there's the things that I've figured out myself, and uh, then there's the things that other people have taught me. And probably the bits that i figured out myself are kind of pretty small, and the stuff that other people taught me is pretty large. But of course, um, we're all here at UWA, and UWA um, has a motto. I don't know if you're aware of UWA's motto. It's probably the only thing in this university that stayed the same, if you look over time. If you just look at our, at, at our, um, our coat of arms here, you'll see that helmets disappeared, um, swans reduced in number, uh, legs disappeared, um, the Latin even changed, right, that's written on there. Um, but the thing that Kate said constant was that we're here to seek wisdom, right? So we're here to learn things, but also to think ourselves, yeah? And certainly the new motto, the latest motto of this university is very much about making the future leaders of the world through getting people to think themselves and learn and figure things out, not just accept what they've been told by other people. So let's be really generous and decide that you're all here, at least by the time you finish your degrees and left with a degree or several degrees from a top 100 university in the world, um, then uh, maybe 50-50. Maybe you're in a position where you can say, well, half the stuff I know, I've figured out myself. And half the stuff I'm accepting that I learnt from other people. But if you're really honest, or maybe once you've left the university and seen the whole of life, you'll rapidly discover, well, we're kind of down here, and really there's a whole pile of other stuff 
that you didn't know you didn't know, and it's really, really big. So in fact, we're surrounded and accepting huge amounts of knowledge which we didn't contribute to, we didn't figure out, we simply accept it, or we don't even know that it's there, but it's the knowledge that, that, our, that the world in which we live actually runs on. So what about science then? So how does science actually know stuff? Because that's what we're basically arguing, that science and rationality can actually produce this information that's going to drive our, our world forward. So what does science do? Well, I think a simple explanation, it examines the natural world, um, and it does experiments. And those experiments are aimed to establish cause and effect, usually. And that cause and effect is used to discover what we would call mechanisms which define truth. And so in science, rationality is really to believe in what science has proven. That's, that's the rational thing to do if you're a scientist and you're looking at science. So is science any different to anything else in that context? So there's a guy called Karl Popper who's really well regarded in science, um, even though he looks remarkably like Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Maybe that's why he... Oh, no, I don't think so. A very well regarded scientist. Um, he's died now. Um, but what he did was actually to look at methodology in science. And he pretty much revolutionised the way we think about science in, our, in this century, or in the last century, um, by saying that the way science works is it does it by disproving hypotheses to establish truths about the universe, by a special rational theory um, method of inquiry. And what he was distinguishing that from is old ideas that science was inductive, and also the fact that things like law and arts and business and literature all attempt to achieve things and move things forward and gain information, but they don't do it by disproving hypotheses. They do it by different means. And so science, in that sense, was deemed to be special. Science does this in a different way than these other disciplines, and you could argue that's why science um, has all the money, right, and, and has a lot of the influence in our world over some of these other disciplines. So, you have to ask the question, so does science actually work then? We've got this idea, we've got some concept of how it might work. Is it useful? Well, I think we can all say, you look at universe, technology, medicine, you can just start listing stuff that science has helped humanity to achieve. We've gone from understanding, you know, figuring out gravity, the periodic table, um, theories of relativity, theories of evolution, all of these things have been established um, by science. If we look in technology, we can go from clocks to fertilisers, to engines, to electricity, to the camera, to Teflon, to liquid crystals, all of these things which under, underpin so much of our technology and so, so much of our lifestyle basically came from science. And then if you look in medicine, we wouldn't have known about blood circulation, we wouldn't have known how to pasteurise things, we wouldn't have known about anaesthesia or x-rays or penicillin or vaccines or DNA or any of these things without science actually um, working. So it does work, right? But another question, of course, is... Does it really help people? Like, has this actually... I mean, we see all those things, and yeah, all those things are pretty good, pretty helpful for me, but what about over time has it been helpful? And various people have attempted to do this, and it's a bit woolly, but here's, here's somebody's attempt to basically do this, and asking the question, does science improve our lives? And they've done this, interestingly, in terms of the number of lives saved, which is always interesting, because they've been saved for a while, and then they died. But anyway, they were saved, Okay. <laughs> Um, so if you go back to the, to the pre-1900s, things like anaesthesia, toilets, pasteurisation, millions, billions of people basically saved from these. Look at synthetic fertilisers, blood transfusions, insulin, 
antibiotics, the list can go on and on. And you can actually use various techniques to basically say, these have made a tangible, huge impact and benefit to people's lives. And without them, we would never have had the population problem that we have today. Just putting that out there. So, it saved, it saved many people, it's given people longer lives, um, and it's helped people in a whole range of tangible ways. Okay, so something about my science then, just to give you a bit of a, a feeling for that. So, um, uh, my science is all about plant energy and working out how plant energy builds our future needs. So we think about plants as basically an energy system on the planet that we work on, and that this basically takes from the climate, the sun and the atmosphere, so atmospheric gases and, and sunshine, and basically converts through plant systems into food, fuel, feed and fabrication materials. It seems like it's an endless source of capacity for our planet. But unfortunately that's not true. And it's not true because there's a whole variety of nutrients that we need um, in order for plants to actually grow. And these are resources, many of which are mined, some of which are running out. So if you look at phosphate, um, it's running out. If you look at nitrogen, it's not running out, but the fossil fuels we use to make the fertiliser are certainly running out. So we, we, we face challenges in the future in working, working out how we use our nutrients more efficiently. And of course we also have climate change. So we see in terms of plants or agriculture generally actually providing any of these needs, it's going to be massively impacted by climate change. Something else that science has figured out, um, which is, means that we need to do an awful lot of research to think, can we make plants more energy efficient that we use in agriculture and other systems? And that's pretty much what the research that I lead actually works on. Energy is an interesting thing. When we think about energy, chemical energy in these biological systems, we think about maybe a human who's maybe like 100 watts. You think about a power station, which is maybe a megawatt. You think about mankind, maybe we're 10 terawatts of energy on this planet. Well, the plants are 100 terawatts, right, in terms of what they're up to. And you can break that right down to think about what a plant, what a, what a tree does, what a leaf does, what a cell does, and what some of these structures right inside cells are actually doing. What we're working on is actually right down the bottom end to make changes there which will start having impact right up that chain for efficiency, not only of an individual cell, but of a leaf, of a plant, of a forest, of a field. So that's great. Science is awesome. In my experience, science has been my career in a great deal of ways. So you have to ask the question if you're a scientist. This is really effective, it works really well. So what does science have to say about other things that really interest me, right? Because as scientists, this is what we do. Every day we come in, this interests me, let's figure it out. Let's see if we can figure out how it works. Okay, so here's some big questions I might have. So who should I trust? That's a big question. We're all interested in that. What is love? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is happiness? And because all those things are basically the titles of songs, right? You have to ask the question. Um, so why do I like the music that I do? These are all legitimate questions that I have as a scientist. And I ask the question, well, what can science help me with in these topics? And these are the answers I've come up with. Who should I trust? I think science tells you no one. What is love? Well, it's chemicals that release something that stimulates a receptor in your brain. Where did I come from? From a random process in chemical soup. Where am I going? Nowhere. What is happiness? Well, that's a figment of your imagination, which is a chemical that releases something that stimulates a receptor. And sadly, when we get to the music, it's the same deal. It's a chemical that releases something that stimulates a receptor. So, they're my answers from science. Many of them have facets of truth in them, right? 
but they're not really very satisfying. They don't satisfy me. And interestingly, they also didn't satisfy other people in my family. Because when I go back, my father and my grandfather, both scientists, but both committed Christians and both actively involved in their communities and their churches because they saw this as fundamental and aligned with the science that they were doing. So you have to ask the question then, if science is so bad at this, but so good at other stuff, where did science actually come from? And if we go right back in history and we think back to antiquity, we realise that natural processes were pretty much a mystery in um, antiquity times. Um, They were largely explained by supernatural powers acting in the world where gods were warring each other. Your crops failed because Zeus didn't like somebody, so suck it up, right? That's basically how the ancient world basically thought about a lot of these things. And even when we got to Greek philosophy, which is the foundation for much of what happens in our own world, um, the natural world was considered largely uninteresting. And the focus was really about yourself, thinking about logic and reasoning in your own mind, not worrying about what's happening with the birds and the bees and the fields. An interesting um, person in in Greek philosophy um, was uh, this guy, Zeno. Right, so Stoic philosopher, and he separated himself a little bit, and Stoic philosophy separates itself a little bit from Greek philosophy in saying, well, actually, he thought happiness was about accepting the moment, it was about not being caught up in, in, in pleasure or the fear of pain, and he thought you actually needed to use your mind to understand the world and to do your part in nature's plan. So this connection with the biology around us, the real world we lived in, became important in Stoic philosophy. And if we travel that through, we see that if you look in Roman traditions, in Christian traditions, in Jewish traditions and Islamic um, traditions, there are theories of humanity and nature um, and also of the divine revelation and natural revelation sitting side by side. So the idea that we can see things through the natural revelation of what's happening in our world and we can also learn things from divine revelation If you look in the Middle Ages, we get people like Thomas Aquinas, um, who basically developed natural theology, um, which was really talking about how God reveals himself through nature, studying science to figure out why God did what he did. And then we can look right through the Renaissance, uh, Enlightenment, the rise of of what we might call modern Western science traditions. We've got to look at the impact of uh, political and industrial revolutions. All of these things impacted on science and led to science studying the nature of the physical world And a classic great example of that is someone like Isaac Newton, who was also a man who was both a Christian and a scientist. So how do people know things? Well, I think it's probably not unfair to say that the view was that you could hold these two things side by side, science and theology. Science looking at natural revelation, things that we can figure out by observation, and theology being divine revelation, things that we're told. Not by some other person, but actually by God. But the scientists, including the Christian scientists, were very, very confident of science's ability to achieve understanding of natural revelation and thinking about things and how they they could be observed, independently of theology, without feeling that it was actually impacting on theology in any way. So there was really the separation that happened. Science did its things, theology did its things, because one was about natural revelation and one was about divine revelation. But over time, a whole bunch of people, you might be one of these people, there's lots of people in our world today, who pretty much said, well, that's great, we've separated the two now, I think I'll delete that one, 
because I quite like this, and I think science could be very helpful. Okay. So looking at natural laws, things that we can figure out by observation, very powerful. We've seen that power. But people, when they do this, still have questions. And those questions are that because they've lost half of the story, it seems to me, um, that they then think, well, what we need to do with science is do this, you know, push it across a little bit, right? There must be some stuff over in that other kind of empty place that could be filled if we could just apply science there. And so there's, a, there's an attempt to basically say, well, more of those questions, maybe science can provide answers to them. And as much as we might look at um, attempts by people to say that science answers everything and think that's an affront to theology or an affront to Christianity, actually it's people who've lost half trying to figure out what to do, right? If you've only got the half left, yeah, of course you're going to try and get science to fill that hole because the hole's real, right? And the hole's inside of us. And the other thing people do, of course, just fuzz the edges, right? So basically, it's not clear then where science finishes and begins. It's just one big... It's a very useful, powerful thing in society. And the edges are unclear. Maybe we want the edges to be unclear. Um, and for many people, the edges... Um, it's, it's difficult to see whether, where, how other things might fit in. And we see this on so many fronts. We see this with the whole debates now about, about climate change and scepticism. Where does science end? Where's, where's an opinion start? Where's politics? Where's data, right? And this is all because we have a very fuzzy edge to what science can be achieving and providing for us. I think part of it as well is for us to understand what science is basically trying to do versus, say, what Christianity is trying to do. Science is about looking at how the world, phys world, how the world works physically. Um, it's iteratively. It's an iterative process to try and uncover mechanisms by lots of different people contributing over long periods of time. Um, and it's driven by empirical data, right? And so you have all of these sort of circles, yeah, which are bounded by spatial scales and time scales from different fields in science, some of which connect together and some of which are still quite separated and people are hoping to work in some of those holes between them. And so because of this breadth, um, there's a variety of attempts to search for unifying theories. So you can think about in physics... Grand unified theory, right, as an attempt to bring different fields together which are otherwise separated. And in biology, that's really evolution, right, bringing fields together which are otherwise separated, trying to make a meta-narrative of what biology can be telling us. But Christianity, from my point of view, is really quite distinct, right, because it's about revelation, right, it's about divine revelation. It's not about the physical world. It's about our relationship, the relationship that exists between God and humans. It's about, it's steeped in history, literature, and spirituality of people. It has a primary reference, being the Bible, and it also has human interpretation, which at various times in history has been accurate or inaccurate. And then there's a whole variety of other Christian literature, which is not even biblical interpretation. It's just opinions of people who call themselves Christians, which is also helpful. Some of it overlaps with the Bible, some of it doesn't. Right? And that's the nature of our experience of maybe Christian literature or um, biblical interpretation or indeed the Bible um, itself. So these two things can talk to each other, but we have to understand that they're really fundamentally different in a lot of ways in terms of their mechanisms and their processes and what they think is important. So, what can rational science actually provide to Christianity? So I would say there's a couple of things it can do. Um, first thing I think that, that rational science has done for Christianity, it's, it's said that you don't always need the miraculous, as in physically unexplainable events, for there to be meaning or purpose in events. 
And what this means, really, is that many things we previously did not understand how they happened, which is true in history, now science can explain in process. And that's a good thing for Christianity. Because from a Christian's perspective, natural, revolution, natural revelation is evidence of what God did, right? Through natural processes. But at the same time, it's important to realise that there are still many things that science can't explain. It can't explain them in process, and it considers them, often, highly improbable events because it doesn't have a mechanistic explanation for them. Because the mechanism's unknown, or the outcome's unusual. So science can't really talk to a lot of these things. But that doesn't mean that explained or improbable or unexplainable events are definitely then true, unlikely, and false. Science can't contribute to them, but it doesn't mean um, that, uh, that Christianity can't accept these as, as, as foundational factors in how it works. So my in my opinion, a Christian who ignores rational scientific evidence and the answers that it provides is kind of missing out on what hundreds of years of human endeavour have taught us about the world. It'd be a real pity to do that, because in my view... Science isn't fighting against Christianity, it's simply exploring the natural world that surrounds us. So, what then can Christianity actually offer um, rational science? So I think one of the first things is that the boundaries of science are complex and debated, and Christianity can point out to science when it's crossing its boundaries. Also, when science finds no meaning in something, for example, science would say, well, there's no meaning behind the evolutionary process... It doesn't mean there isn't a meaning. It just means that science can't find it. So if you want to look for meaning in the evolutionary process, look somewhere else, because science doesn't have an answer. And when science finds no practical reason to apply ethical constraints, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have any boundaries to our ethics. Most of us would accept that most science has no ethics as its foundation. Um, sometimes it's forced to have an ethical framework around doing experiments, um, but uh, it's not fundamentally bounded by ethics. That's because ethics was supposed to like, take on, to, to go in after science has achieved what it did and make us stop us doing things which would be unethical. And if we look at arts, literature, language, law, philosophy, they all have their own methods which are quite distinct from science. And uh, they complement these mechanistic um, explanations. And Christianity also well, basically argues that God's view overrides many of these human views and we discover those boundaries through our relationship with God. We can't discover those boundaries outside the relationship with God. So we shouldn't necessarily expect someone who's not a Christian to understand what we're talking about some of the time. Because part of what we're talking about relates to a relationship that we actually have. So in my opinion, a scientist who thinks science answers every aspect of our lives is actually missing out what thousands of years of human experience have taught us that we all stand, and most of our knowledge comes from knowledge we've accepted from others. So, what then does Christianity offer the, the rational seeker? If you're a rational seeker and you're wondering whether Christianity's really got anything to offer at all, well, here's some of my views of things that it has to offer. So, the first thing I think it has to offer is um, purpose for the process. So, science is really good about process and really bad about purpose, but we all seek purpose. We want to understand the purpose of things. And so Christianity actually can explain purpose for the process built on thousands of years of humans seeking, 
seeking coupled to the historical workings of God in our world. The other thing that science, that Christianity can offer is satisfaction. Satisfaction in relationships in, um, with other people, uh, understanding our satisfaction with the world we live in and the future beyond the life that we have. That, that's a place where it can actually provide some answers that science says there's nothing to know. Um, another thing that, that science can do is it actually joins you to other people. It joins you to other people because we have, through uh, Christianity and through our understanding, that we have actually been given a job, right, by the Earth's creator of stewardship of the Earth. And so this unites people to actually do things together rather than simply acting for themselves to get as many resources as they can before the whole thing goes to smoke. The other things I think that Christianity can do for many rational seekers is it actually provides some explanations, explanations that science can't even provide, and yet they're deep questions that many of us have. Things like, you know, why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? Most of us fundamentally kind of want to know that, right? Because it's kind of about justice. And science just says, the powerful will get it. And if you're not powerful, get powerful or die. It also explains how, through Jesus Christ you can be changed from the way you are to the way you were always meant to be. That's confronting from a non-Christian because they think, well, I'm quite happy with the way I am actually, right? But for many people who've decided that they actually want to have a relationship with Jesus, it's because they realise that there is something kind of fundamentally wrong with the way they are now. And it also explains the impact of our personal rebellion against God's plan and what Jesus was willing to do um, to give us a way back. And that's basically the good news of Christianity. It's the good news of the gospel that there is a way back and that there is opportunity that Jesus Christ provides. So for me, science and Christianity, two sides of the same coin. Okay, so now we have um, a bit of time to ask questions. I'm going to give you a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds to talk to the person next to you and, yeah, just think of... Any questions that you might have on the topic? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
science related, it's something like one of the interpretations. I'm a scientist, I'm but somebody was trying to make a news story out of it, and so it had to turn around to the other. And that's what's wrong with that box. And so I was just saying, yeah, but. Uh, I kept saying, we weren't saying that. No one, nobody in the PR department was listening to it. Alright, so, I'm just going to have to cut you off there. Alright, do we have any questions? Yep, Katie. No, so if it was just a big psychological, if we're just kind of psychologically flawed in the sense that we want there to be reason and there isn't any, um, then we could be looking for something which isn't true, right? And that's in that sense scientifically. Um, so I guess from my perspective, I mean, we look, we, we, we look in time, we look in history, right? And we sort of see, are there any examples of anybody throughout history who's actually said, um, no, there is purpose, right? And from Christian tradition, we see this in Jesus Christ, right? That he's actually said, no, I'm sorry, there actually is purpose. I've come here to tell you about it. And here is the evidence. And here is the, um, through himself, evidence from himself. Um, and that's what Christians actually hold on to, right? It's, it's people following Jesus Christ, not following a concept of a God who might have purpose and meaning, but actually following the human who came and presented that. So I guess that's... Um, that's the point. But if we are um, uh, flawed in our understanding, right? So if he didn't really mean that, I mean, and that's really a fundamental question. If Jesus wasn't really who he claimed to be, right? And uh, then we're all wasting our time. That's fundamentally true. So it's just why for Christians, the whole thing comes back to what Jesus said and what you make of that. And people over history have, some people have accepted what he said and run with it and seen the impact that it has in their lives, and other people have chosen to not. And the reality is that actually it's the majority have chosen not and looked for other solutions um, to what their, what their perception is. So Christianity is about a choice. It's about actually choosing to decide what Jesus meant and what he, what, who he is. If you conclude that he was an interesting guy you know, in tough times, in Roman times, yeah, um, then um, yeah, it's all a bit of it's interesting history, it's interesting ancient history, but it's irrelevant if you're not. But if you believe that um, your assessment of Jesus, I think it's a you can have a rational assessment of who is this guy, what did he say, what was the conclusion, and what happened. Um, that's the decision. It's, it's a decision to decide what you think of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for that presentation. It's really compelling. Um, my question is like sort of more of a personal one around your development through science and whether or not like your faith um, has waved at all or if you've been challenged as you've developed your ideas in that rationality. Um, I guess how you move through that. Yeah, look, I think we are all um, challenged at various stages through um, our lives, right, in terms of whether Christianity makes sense. Yeah. I've been somewhat challenged by science, yeah, in itself. So the more I've learnt 
about uh, evolutionary processes, for example, because that's my kind of area, that's, you know, um, the more I would say, you know, yeah, you do ask questions or you um, wonder about things, the way you understood Christianity when you were a child and whether that needs to change or whether your perception of, of the way that you, you, you imagine certain things um, needs to change. That's true. I think that's a constant process as you, as you grow and learn new things. You're placing those in the, in the, um, uh, amongst the decisions you're making. But from a personal perspective, I think what's challenged me more in my Christian faith through life is not science. Because to be honest, I actually see science as a great revelation of what God does in the world. That doesn't really bother me. Um, it's actually more circumstances in life, right? It's a lot more of those um, questions about... Uh, compassion and the lives of other people and experiences in my own life which make me think, well, is this, would this really be happening if we had a loving God? Right. And it's actually working through those things which to me are much more profound impacts on my Christianity than worrying about whether or not um, scientific processes are matched to the Bible in exactly the way that some people might like them to. Um, so for me, yeah, and, and my experience through my life has been, even though there's been times when I've definitely doubted as a result of those circumstances and events, um, that doubt hasn't remained, right? Because I've recognised through my own experience that actually um, God's really reliable. You really can actually rely on him over the course of your lifetime.